Anyway, looking at uh, the next conversation that we're going to have, and it's something that I think we do not necessarily talk about uh, too often, and it's something that we really, really need to take into account, is, of course, uh, the psychosocial collateral damage of COVID-19. Now, before we even get into uh, uh, pre-existing conditions like depression, like uh, any other psychosocial conditions people may have, Um, The key question is, how do you cope? And I think this is a serious conversation that we need to have. How do you cope being locked in your home for three weeks, uh, only going out to get the bare essentials and then having to come back? Because ultimately, uh, despite the fact uh, that we might not see it that way, going to work is a reprieve. Um, Whether it be disputes in the home with the children, with the family, whatever the case is, it is some sort of a reprieve. So that's something to take into account. And to help us through that is uh, Dr. Jonathan D. Mock. He is a specialist psychiatrist, cognitive therapist, uh, founder, and managing director of Project IRTH. Good evening to you, doctor, and thank you for joining us this evening. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Doc, before we get into pre-exist, uh, pre-existing conditions like depression, like uh, anxiety, fatigue, etc., etc., and even having pre-existing relationship uh, issues, because we forget that people might have had a, f- a fight on the day of the lockdown's commencement and at midnight it didn't suddenly go away and now we're a happy family. Um, yes. How do we cope with being in each other's space? Uh, for three whole weeks. I mean, we're talking about partners, we're talking about, uh, I mean, intimate partners, we're to- talking about their children, we're probably even talking about uh, people who have to look after extended family within the same home. Yes, uh, I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I-, I wish there was a pill for this, you know. Uh, but this, uh, this is a massive stress test for the world, you know, um, uh, not only biological, uh, but politically and economic and philosophically, but for our purposes, uh, psycho, psychological and social. Never before, I think, in the history of humanity has there been such a stress test uh, that is global. Mm. And it's going to be... It's My, my fear is that... Uh, is that if there is a fracture in relationships uh, in a home specifically, that fracture is going to become a, a chasm. If, if people have been, you know, we live in the age of distraction until now, I think, because now we, we really are focused on uh, this whole virus. Uh, but we live in this, in this world of distraction uh, outside the home, work, sports, cinema, restaurants. And now we uh, we are forced to go inside and uh, and learn to relate to them. And uh, if one doesn't have those skills, uh, let's say in a marriage that mm. you haven't built up to to deal with uh, conflict, for example, you're not going to learn it overnight because there's a virus that has you know, has come down to, uh, to onto the planet, uh, spreading around the planet. So I, I think there's going to be. Uh, Possibly three outcomes, and if we if we look at the the work of on stress and post traumatic stress, especially um, where, when there's a major trauma, for example, 9/11 or uh, terrorist acts or whatever it might be, um, about 15% of people develop post traumatic stress disorder. And about 70 to 75% of people normalize after a few weeks or a few months. 
But what's very interesting is about 10% actually develop what they call post-traumatic growth. Uh, and I've always been fascinated, for about 30 years now, I've been fascinated by why 1 out of 10, 1 out of 12 people go through a trauma and they actually come out better. Mm. And uh, uh, it, it's really a, an interesting idea to speculate. And there's a lot of research on this. And uh, I think uh, my guess is, and I know we'll know what the outcome is because we don't know how long this is going to go on for. You know, uh, this could go on for weeks, months, maybe even a couple of years. I mean, look at the Second World War, we went for six years. Um, we don't know, but uh, I, I think that it would probably come out, if you look at just statistics more or less, that, that 15 or 20 percent of, of families or marriages are going to really come apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 60, 70 percent of them will normalize. Uh, and about 10 or 15 percent will actually come out better, and families will come out better uh, because they've learned to adapt and prioritize. And that's what I think what happens in post-traumatic growth is suddenly things become much more important. Yeah, uh, and you let go of the unimportant and the not urgent. Yeah. But doctor, I mean, on that basis, on, on on that basis, I mean, the obvious question to ask in this instance is what then makes some relationships work under those circumstances and what doesn't make uh, or how do the other ones fail uh, under those circumstances? But before we even get to that issue, you know, what what's really for me fascinating is also some of the social pressures. I'll give you an example. I did an interview on Friday, um, you know, yeah. around being at home. Um, and, and it's, you know, and, and the guest that I spoke to obviously mentioned that it's a, it's a blessing. It's, it's wonderful to be at home in the company of the children and the partner, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's, that's obvious, um, as a blue sky. But I think also within that obviousness, what we are doing is that we are belying the fact that there is stress and tension. Uh, now, you know, as, as parents, we're not teachers. Okay. So, uh, now we have to do um, the child's curriculum at, at home whilst you're under pressure from work because you're getting a call, phone call every five minutes. Uh, emails have now increased suddenly because I guess everyone wants to make sure that you're actually working. Um, so there's all kinds of pressures in that particular space as well. Um, do you think that those are the types of things where we live in a world where um, uh, almost a social media world, uh, an Instagram world where you have to constantly be happy and blessed um, does yeah. that also take strain? Because the neighbors next door, uh, when you get onto your school WhatsApp group and you ask, how's it going with the kids and, and you know, uh, this period of, of education, uh, how are you guys coping? And everyone's sort of telling you, no, it's wonderful and the lessons are so easy, but you're sitting and you're actually struggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I, um, I hear that, but, you know, you have to be very careful about aggregating everybody to the mean. I mean, this so many different households and mm, so many mm. different uh, dynamics and social economics. You know, if somebody's on a paycheck uh, or, or somebody's in the gig economy, you know, and, and you're working on tips, or, or somebody's a school teacher, at least they're getting a paycheck at the end of the month. Yeah. You know, that takes an enormous amount of pressure off. Um, you know, there can be elderly people in the home or, or a sick child. Or, yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's mil- literally millions of different factors, and to try and bring it down to one kind of reductionist kind of mode of thinking, I think is is not good. Uh, the, the second point I want to make is, you know, uh, we might be in a bit of a honeymoon period, if I can say it, you know, uh, 
this whole thing of coming. It's like a public holiday or the first week of uh, you know, our holidays. You know, oh, oh, I'm, 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 uh, well, it's so nice to be, be at home. But, uh, you know, uh, when you go on holiday, for example, for three weeks, I've often found personally that the first week is that relief. The second week, I think, you know, I start being more creative. The third one, I want to get back to work now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, I think what's going to be uh, really interesting is what's going to happen as as the weeks unfold, uh, and the, the pressures of, of of cabin fever, let's call it. I think it's exactly. really cabin fever is going to affect people. Uh, I mean, a very tiny thing that just happened uh, earlier this evening. Uh, uh, I thought my wife was making some chops, and she said, "No, it's a bride next door," <laughs> and. Uh, you know, my, my my temptation was to knock on the door and say, you know, I'd like to come to your bride. But, uh, you know, there's that limitation now mm, uh, mm. that you can't really, not, not only in the house, but your next-door neighbours. I walked in my road yesterday, and it was spooky because it's a religious Jewish area, and on the Sabbath, there's a lot of people walking, but I was the only person walking. And how do we adapt to all these different social, not just in the home, but outside the home as well, uh, but if you come back to the social media, mm. in a way, uh, it's a blessing. Uh, it can be too. You know, everything in life is a blessing or a curse. And uh, social media can be a curse. But for me, personally, as a psychiatrist, uh, it's been fantastic because I've become a virtual psychiatrist and people are on Zoom or, or Skype. And it, it's wonderful in the sense that they don't have to drive in a car or wait uh, you know, uh, we can talk and we can. I can send them videos or readings, and it's and a lot of the United States, for example, virtual psychiatry has taken off. Uh, this telemedicine, and I think uh, this whole mental wellness and technology, mm. specifically for me, is it's a massive trend and a massive opportunity that we can reach a lot more people uh, quicker in terms of mental wellness. Uh, and, and help people on a much bigger scale. So, uh, you know, just maybe to get back to your question is what's going to happen in the home? Uh, I think uh, if you look at a million homes or a hundred million homes, you're probably going to get a hundred million slight variations in uh, how it comes up. But what I want to say is if, that the, if, if the, the marriage, for example, if the marriage has not been able to deal with adversity, uh, mm. then uh, this is going to really stress them. And uh, uh, already, for example, in some countries uh, where the coronavirus has been around for six, eight weeks, yeah. domestic, vi- domestic violence is on the rise uh-huh. and divorce. Uh, and it's not, it might sound funny, but the people that have got full work are the marital therapists. Uh, but I do think that there are going to be those families that turn it around and say, okay, it is what it is. Uh, how, do we make, how do we make the best of this? How can we improve things? And that's a mindset, and uh, it's called a growth mindset. And uh, I think those people are going to be part of the 10, 15% that really come out well. Yeah, I just yeah. hope more people will take the opportunity to say, okay, it is what it is. There's a, there's a blessing in this, and maybe we can look at how we communicate, what our priorities are, where, what our meaning is, and, um, and build on it. I think it's a wonderful opportunity 
Uh, yeah, if you look at the stats, it's actually quite interesting. Uh, you know, just blind stats mm-hmm. is that, that, let's say, uh, I really want to just say this just to make some points, and it's terrible. Let's say a million people do die. That's one million out of 7.5 billion people. That's like point, I would say like 0.07%. So mm-hmm. well over 99% of people are not going to be affected. But psychosocially, uh, psychological and social, I think it's close to 100% of people are going to be, are affected and will be affected. No, for sure, uh, for sure. So, so it's not so much the biological side of it, it's more the psychological, social, economic, political side. That's where the, the, the impact damage is really... Yeah. Yeah. And it's very true because also those other factors also play into ultimately what you have to deal with. I mean, economically, if you're taking strain, as you said, if you're uh, running your own business, if you're part of the gig economy that has, uh, you know, that is actually something real that people, you know, earn a living from, um, all of those things have taken uh, a serious knock. And ultimately, we know that that in, in turn puts a strain on your relationships. It puts a strain on you psychologically as well. What I just wanted to find out also and get on to now is there are people living with pre-existing conditions someone might be living with depression someone might be um, dealing with uh, panic attacks, anxiety uh, phobias, despair fatigue, all kinds of things happening to them as we speak at the moment I mean how do you then cope within these 21 days Uh, and as you said we live in a spectrum of society, not everyone um, has the exact same setup so just because you have depression and your family is aware of it does not necessarily mean that they have the coping mechanisms of it. Uh, or worse yet, you could be finding yourself completely and utterly alone um, and have only yourself to, to, to cope with, um, with these underlying conditions. How then do we cope with these? Well, well again, I wish I knew. Uh, but, you know, loneliness, even before coronavirus, was really on the app. It's a terrible, terrible illness, is, is loneliness. Uh, I was just looking in Sweden, about one in two people live alone, or, you know, adults. Uh, it's, we are social animals, you know, we need human interaction. The mm. second thing is that about one in five adults, one in six adults suffer from mental illness. And this is a stress test that, that will probably push, uh, you know, push it with that ratio a little bit higher, maybe to one in four, though those that just can't cope uh, and uh, can't distract you. Uh, you know, I, I would like to reduce it down to one thing which is my favorite, which is mindfulness, uh, awareness, heartfulness, mm. uh, attention, paying attention. You know, uh, you know, if, uh, I love to 702, there's one night just to do a, or somebody uh, probably better need to do a mindfulness exercise or just being present, uh, you know, because the cortisol levels go up and, and you know, all the stress factors and, and stress hormones go up. And, and probably the most important thing is to try to keep calm. Um, and that's very easy to say. But what, what is really interesting about this corona, uh, you know, COVID-19, it is strikes at, at the essence of living, uh, which is the breath. Because mm. it's, a, it's a viral pneumonia. And while we need the spirit, uh, um, ventilators uh, and, and, and you know ICU beds, because people can't breathe, and at the very existence of the planet is is breath, is is, is air. 
Mm. And Paul Kalinati, who was a, a magnificent neurosurgeon, he died from cancer of the lung, and he wrote this book, When Breath Becomes Air. And uh, this is about three years ago, and it just emphasizes the, the importance of the breath. And uh, it sounds just almost naive to say that the breath is, is where our solution is going to be, especially for anxiety. Uh, depression is, I think, a different kind of beast. It's, it's based on the past and uh, anger and what could it be. But anxiety is about threats. It's about the future. And in our brain, we have something called the amygdala. It's like the sentinels looking out for, for threats. And uh, I guess if we did brain scans of most people in the world, then it's very active at the moment because we don't know what's going to happen. Mm. But really, it's, it's about, at the most basic level, and I'm sure there's lots of psychologists that can get all things of reframing mindset. But it's really to 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 get that breath and to uh, to watch the breath as it were, and just allow the breath to to allow us to to breathe. And we only have one moment to live. We only have the present, and it's one breath at a time. Mm, and so mm. I would build. You know, you can build a, a very big. Uh, psychological framework on what to do and, and you know, uh, do all kinds of things. But ultimately, what this COVID-19 is really saying, it's all about the breath. And, uh, you know, when we breathe our last, that's when we pass away. And, and the virus is really attacking that whole breathing mechanism. So when I say, uh, you know, when you ask me what should we do is, is what I think is, is really, it's really Eastern in a way, is, is to, to focus on our breath and sometimes just to take a deep breath as it were, or just watch the breath mm. and uh, the, the, the miracle of breath and, and, and build, uh, and build our, our, our scaffolding about how we're going to live our future breath as it were. Oh, yeah, you. Uh, are you with me? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you on that one, Doc. Uh, look, the other one that I wanted to find out from you about as well, because I saw that you have started a, a virtual practice, which you began on the 27th of March, um, yeah. where you, you use Zoom as a means of, of, of engaging with people. Um, yeah. How's that going? Uh, is, it still, is it still an option available for people who need help immediately or whatever the process may be? Yeah, yeah, I've got I've got a, a stress survey which uh, is open. Uh, we can do it around the world uh, where people's stress levels are. People can send an email. We can do that. But uh, it's, this project Earth is I R T H, and I stands for income, mm-hmm. and R is for relationships, mm-hmm. T is for, for time, and H is for health. And when I did my uh, my reviews of 30 years' work, uh, it's amazing from a stress point of view how almost all of stresses and problems fall into uh, those four categories. It's about finance, and uh, especially uh, in marriages, about 70% of arguments in marriages is about finance. What's, what's basics, what's expenses, yeah. what's <laughs> luxuries. Uh, relationships is, is, is not only with you and your wife and your children, it's with yourself and for many people with a higher power, with nature. Uh, I think uh, the philosophical part of this COVID-19 is, I can put it well, you know, philosophers can think aloud, is that the earth has had enough. 
you know, we've really damaged this you know, climate change. We've really damaged it. And, and uh, the virus has come back to teach us manners. But the, uh, the tea is fine. And, uh, and it's, it's quite interesting with this COVID how people have really thought about their life because they might be the next person you know, in, a, in an ICU bed in three, three or four days' time, especially if they're immunocompromised. And mm. what are we going to do with our, our future? You know, uh, are we going to just waste it uh, or, or we do something more meaningful? Yeah. Uh, in times of crisis, uh, people uh, are shaken and they work, they move from the eye. I also think uh, that the world has, until now, mm. has moved to all the I, me, I, me, identity politics, you know, uh, and all that, or everything that goes with that. And now suddenly it's a we. This is a world crisis. And it's become the invisible enemy. And, yeah. and the final one is health, which is uh, physical and mental and, and all kinds of different health. And of course, COVID really attacks the, um, the, the body in a, in a quite a vicious way. And it's about how we sleep uh, and what we eat and how we exercise and mm. how we de-stress. So this is, uh, becoming a virtual psychiatrist is, is quite an interesting thing because, of course, on a one-to-one basis, it's very limited. But uh, with the internet now uh, and videos and YouTube and, and all kinds of social media, you can reach, I'm not saying myself, but uh, you can reach millions of people. Uh, There's fantastic uh, TED.coms and other types of videos that can, can help people. And yeah. that's what I tend to do. Is once I've seen a patient who's send them a video that's had 2 million, 3 million views. So uh, we live in an interesting world from a mental health point of view. How can we maximize technology to reach those with what you said before is, is depression, anxiety. Mm. One area that I'm really interested in is what's going to happen to addictions, people with addictions. And, yeah. uh, there's this curfew on alcohol. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, they might be able to do this with them for a week or two. And I know people, people stockpile. But uh, we, uh, already around the world, the price of cocaine, for example, has skyrocketed because... Oh, wow, uh, okay. You know, yeah, they the, you know, uh, boats aren't coming in and, and uh, airplanes aren't coming in. and uh, It's know, in the, short supply. The demand, the demand supply. And, uh, you know, I've worked with addicts for many years and uh, the economics of, of that, of, of, of addiction is... is, is quite incredible, but uh, a virus and, and just worrying about it is not going to stop addiction. So we talk about depression, anxiety, we have and stress. We also have to talk about addiction that affects four, five, six, seven percent of the people, which is significant. I don't know how that's going to play out worldwide in the next few months. I mean, uh, in China, for example, 50% of the men in China smoke. And that's why one of the reasons why they think a lot more men are dying from coronavirus because the lung capacity is... Is compromised uh, already. Compromised, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doc, look, we'll we'll have to wrap it up soon. I mean, for people who want to get a hold of you, um, you know, and, and get any assistance whatsoever, how do they go about that particular process? And obviously, whatever other arrangements, they'll have to make those arrangements with you uh, yeah. because obviously you are a practicing psychiatrist. Um, and, and, you know, there would be rates that apply in certain instances, but how do people get a hold of you? I think they can go uh, you know, uh, straight to my email. I think I'll have a busy day tomorrow. 
after all my interviews and seven or two attempts to happen, it's Jonathan D. Moch mm-hmm. at Gmail. Uh, Jonathan uh, D. David Moch at gmail.com. And uh, we'll take it from there. But I think that uh, we're going to see uh, a change now in, amongst my colleagues, especially psychologists and uh, social workers, that more and more are going to go online and be virtual. And um, the, the, on the couch, as it were, and uh, is going to um, disappear, I think. Uh, I think this is an interruption for also for uh, education, uh, due to university schools, how much of that is necessary. So I, I see this is a disrupt uh, in, in, in the psychological, psychiatric field, uh, but it is a challenge. So, you know, this virus came out of China, and, and the Chinese are famous for saying, and the symbol of crisis is always an opportunity. Mm. And that's what I would like to really say to uh, your listeners is, yes, it is a fear and we have to socialize, um, social distance and we have to keep our immune system. That's the important thing. It all comes down to your immune system, which is good sleep, good food, sunshine, exercise, uh, managing conflict. Yeah. No, you yeah, also yeah. have to see this as a shake-up and opportunity. And if people can just sit back and say, okay, Let's prioritize what's really important. And, no, for uh, sure. I hope that will help people uh, and get a conversation going in the family. For uh, sure. In the relationships. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and maybe even just reaching out to those that are isolated. I mean, uh, just my, my final word on this is what happened uh, in, in the United Kingdom when uh, Boris Johnson asked people to help. About 750,000 people volunteered. And... Uh, it's really interesting research in it that one of the best need losses is actually to volunteer, give rather than to take. Okay. And here we, we are in a, in, a, in, a, in a time where we can give for those that can give to, in, in whatever way. And I think that should be you a know, national priority is where those that can help. Help. Should help, yeah. Doc, uh, we'll, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. All the best to you, okay? Good luck. Bye-bye. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. There was uh, Dr. Uh, Jonathan Dimoch.